Please be advised the following events depicted in this podcast are entirely fictional and written with the intention of entertainment. If any events described in the podcast are at all like real experiences, be advised to visit your government official, for you have probably experienced Eldred's intervention beyond human comprehension. Thank you. Welcome to Uncovering the Uncertain, a podcast dedicated to all the weird wackiness unexplained, and downright horrible events that lie beyond the constraints of human conceptualism and logical reality, yet happened all the same. I'm your host, Corbin Corey Burke, and let's get started. story of a music school with good intentions, a trio of students exhibiting cultish behavior, and a fire that ended a storied institution. Between the stories of great note lie the ones that fly under the radar, that have no easy or definitive answers. Welcome to Uncovering the Uncertain, Liminal Spaces, Episode 2, The Saxophone Cult. The date is December 19th, 2004. The location, Chicago, Illinois the Creighton Gifted Musician Center. Founded by William Creighton in 1984, the Musician Center was at one point a high-tier program that was focused on providing musically inclined boys and girls a professional yet nurturing atmosphere to develop both their technical skills and their love of music. The only stipulation was that every student had to be working towards a career in performance, showing that each and every one of them had a serious commitment to music. For nearly 20 years, the CGMC helped shape students' understandings of all that was needed to excel in the challenges of advanced music, both from the technical perspective and as an art form. The center worked with a notable coalition of some of the United States' finest young musicians, with parents paying tuition so that their children could be guided and motivated to get a leg up in the musical performance game to their highest capacity. Taking in a modest amount of 2,400 students the CGMC possessed several sizable groups in addition to their critically acclaimed orchestra program, which all students were required to partake in. These included the Contemporary Music Group, the String Ensemble, the Wind Ensemble, and the Jazz Combo. Outside of these groups, students were allowed to form trios, quartets, quintets, 
and even small bands to their own time. Incentive for partaking in the larger groups was not just a more tailored experience in music playing, but also gave the chance to develop skills in being heard individually. It was said that these groups created a feeling of intimate community, forming invaluable and lasting friendships between like-minded students. Famous musician Gro Eckstein credited the Creighton Center for his success, even stating that, the Creighton Musician Center was instrumental in shaping my career. I will forever be grateful to the institution and the world-class performers that ran it. While everything at the center was hunky-dory for years, all of that would soon change with the introduction of a group of new students, Caden Brooke, Carmichael McDonald, and Wally Koppel. From their arrival in late 2001, fellow students took note of weird behavior from all three. As transfers from another school, Monarch College Preparatory School in Hatchbrook, Missouri, the friends were already part of a saxophone trio. Caden played the alto saxophone, Wally played the tenor saxophone, and Carmichael played the baritone saxophone. It was safe to say that these three were good friends, and advertised it from the moment they set foot on campus. And while they were relatively nice with everyone they met, they stuck mainly to their own, sharing hushed, secretive conversations. They also refused to be in any official groups outside of the main orchestra, instead choosing to work on their own pieces for their saxophone trio. This kind of cliquish behavior was not abnormal for the Creighton Institute, but was rather out of character for the three, who at Monarch were reported to be lively and friends with all. When reached out to for comments, fellow student Alyssa Aberdeen remarked, Well, they all projected this sort of intense friendliness, but had nothing behind their eyes. Group behavior was not far out of line when it came to interactions with staff or faculty. At least, that was the case when the sun was up. Over the years since their arrival, the janitorial staff of the center remarked about hearing the sounds of students playing their instruments echoing through the halls of the school, phantom noises carrying through rooms. In other accounts, several noted seeing figures dart around in the darkness, only to find no trace of anyone, student or otherwise. Although these claims were dismissed as paranoia and fear of the night staff, later examination of security footage in the summer of 2004 suggested these claims were valid, with three robed figures caught retrieving saxophones from the lockers of Caden Brooke, Wally Koppel, and Carmichael McDonald. Following that, they were seen headed to the pit beneath the main stage in the auditorium. When questioned, the trio confirmed, identifying the figures as indeed Caden Brooke, Wally Koppel, and Carmichael McDonald who also confirmed that they had been practicing in such a manner since the year they arrived. These activities were condemned by the administrative staff, citing that the boys' late-night practices were a liability for the school and a danger to themselves. The trio was ordered to put an end to these activities by end of the fall semester in 2004. When pressed for a reason for their actions, the ringleader, Caden Brooke, would proceed to simply remark, He is pleased when we follow. Despite official warnings and the looming threat of expulsion, the trio continued on. When questioned by other students, the trio would turn hostile, calling other students unworthy of knowledge. In some cases, even turning physical when pressed. Despite the best efforts of the staff, these practices continued on, with locks being broken and security cameras tampered with. Eventually, they gave up, leaving the three to practice in peace, 
hoping that nothing terrible would come as consequence for their actions. However, that was sadly the case, as during one of these late-night practices, tragedy would strike. The evening of October 19th, a fire broke out around the same time as one of their practices. When staff evacuated student dorms, every student was rushed outside, with the exception of the trio. So, like, we rushed off in the middle of the night. The on-site security rushed us outside. We stood out there in the cold parking lot, watching as the building burned. And they, like, ran a head count. Who else was missing? But those three weirdos who never hang out with the group. While nothing is officially known, it is believed that the fire started in the very theater the boys were practicing in, making it likely that they were either the cause or perished early into the ordeal. However, on a strange note, as the fire raged on, some students swore they could hear the sound of saxophones just barely calling over the blaze, suggesting that the three had survived and continued to play on, even as they inched closer to death. Three bodies were recovered the next morning, once the fire department had the blaze under control. What was recovered next was found to be even more shocking. On the body of Caden Brook, wrapped in fireproof laminate, was a journal marked all the way to the beginning of the boy's seventh grade year. While the totality of this journal has not been fully released to the public, official summaries are attached. It appears that the boys were not just practicing, but rather engaging in strange cult-like behavior. These late-night jam sessions were chronicled as being in reference to something else. Something the book referred to as Sock Safron. Released summaries discussed that the final parts of the book described that the trio had made plans to sacrifice their lives in the name of Sock Safron, intending to take the center with them in his name. The only released excerpt goes as follows. For those who find us after the blaze, our hope is the work will finally be done. Our service come to a close. We were the cult of Saxophron, hands of the great shuffler itself. It has walked the folds of reality from Eden to Revelation. It has toyed with pantheons and made slaves of those daring to dethrone it. We are nothing but cattle, a billion billion souls born only to make the pain fade. It has whispered in our ears since birth, guiding humanity's meaningless lives towards the dark of salvation. For only those who walk the gloom are worthy. My only hope is that we will be free on the other side. Whatever actually happened that night under the stage, we may never know. But seeing as the boys were engaged in their fanatical devotions, one can only assume their delusional plot went off without a hitch. The only failure, of course, being that their fellow students survived. The Creighton Center was never rebuilt, with many of the benefactors pulling their support, and Creighton himself stepping away from the project. Despite what they attempted to do, I can only feel a great swell of pity for those three children who burned alive. The final notes they played crusting over the ashes of the Creighton Institute. Interesting.
my mind's eye, I still see them sometimes. With the happiness and their voices, true reverence they held for me. I have dictation. in the blue corner to structure. And the place they have. Loyally walking gloom. It was so easy to twist their minds. <laughs> episode of Uncovering the Uncertain comes to its conclusion. Thank you for watching. Please come back next week to continue the story and have a lovely day, evening, or night.